you know, we've been raised to say and to say proudly that the sky is the limit. I do not believe that today. I believe there is no limit and that oftentimes it's the individual who is creating self-limiting environments around their goals and, and their dreams. And I'm all for dreaming, but I'm more for doing. Be a doer, be a high achiever, and do not be ashamed of the knowledge that you gain, the opportunities that you gain from doing the work. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle, light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Imagine retiring at the age of 41, taking lessons learned from a 21-year career in law enforcement and civil rights advocacy. Tisha Hammond took a leap in April of 2018 and found joy in working for herself full-time. Tisha is affectionately known as the small business cheerleader because of her enthusiasm for spotlighting entrepreneurs. Tisha is an international best-selling author on faith-based Profit First with her book, Daily Devotionals for Entrepreneurs, Your Season to Grow. She works well with individuals who are ready to transition from employee to self-employment. Tisha Hammond has a knack for tapping into human capital and helps grow businesses as part of her personal ministry business. She is a highly awarded member of her own community, working on the boards of many groups, as well as a highly sought after speaker and successful YouTuber with her channel, Pep Talk with Tisha Hammond. Well, welcome, Tisha. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you today, Rebecca. I'm happy to have you here as well. I'm so excited to talk about all the different things that you talk about with entrepreneurship. I really feel like we are hitting a great stride in this. I was just reading, you know, a couple of articles that one, uh, that because of this COVID situation, many people that found themselves unemployed, like my husband and I, are now really carving out that entrepreneurial, you know, because if you don't have a job, you have to create one. And so I think that your message is such a timely thing to talk about. But before we get into your book and all of the different things, the ways that you're mentoring people, why don't you go ahead and briefly tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? All right. I appreciate the opportunity. My name is Tisha Hammond. And people call me the small business cheerleader. What I'd really also like to be known as is a wife, a mother of five, new grandbaby was just born, but I am a, a grandmother for years and years. I have a mother who lives with us here at home in Michigan. I think in a perfect world, I would be a race car driver. And you know, I, I love nostalgic candy and, you know, I'm just a regular human being. I, I think of myself as a woman who woke up deeply interested in politics, in law, in civics, for all the things that are going on in this day and age, I'm, I'm happy to be living in this moment, to tell you the truth. 
Yeah, it's an exciting time for sure. Uh, that was another thing I was telling you before we started recording that I saw that actually the largest demographic of entrepreneurship are people of color, which I think is awesome because what a way to free yourself to create that freedom that we all want. You know, in your bio, though, we talked about, you know, how you worked in law enforcement for 21 years, and that's a pretty stable job that has a lot of great benefits uh, to it, although at this time, maybe it's not the most desirable position to be in. But what's the background? Why did you decide to retire, leave that stable job? I'm doing air quotes and, <laughs> and start working for yourself. Well, you got to imagine it was years in the making for me to arrive at a decision to retire after 21 years in federal law enforcement. The first half of the career was spent in uniform. You know, if you could imagine me with a badge and a gun protecting our homeland here and abroad. Which I'm like, you're a beautiful woman. <laughs> Thank you. You had to see it. You had to see the uniform. It was a wonderful experience. The second half of the career was in civil rights advocacy, which is a major reason why I love civics and community and being a person who can amplify issues with my voices when some people feel like they cannot on their own. One of the reasons, and there were several reasons that led to retirement at the age of 41 years old. One of those reasons though was I needed to be a caregiver for my mother. Now, my mother was not sick or ill. My mother is a nurse who was being a caregiver for her sister. And it was quite devastating to see that my aunt was going through radiation treatments, but it was my mother who was losing her hair. And when I started seeing the effects of caregiving on my mom, I just thought, who am I to not step up and at least offer to be more available to give her some time to just go back to being an individual and not have a, a world of responsibilities. That was a major reason why I retired. Believe me, I loved what I did. Um, and that was equal employment opportunity. A another reason why I retired though, was because there was this call on my heart, just my heartstrings being tugged and pulled in the direction of small business development. I believe that when people launch small businesses, particularly in their neighborhoods, you are in an advantageous position to influence your own economy at that point. Mm -hmm. And that is what I wanted to share with people around the world. And that is exactly what has happened um, since I retired and started working full-time for myself, which has now been since April, 2018. Before that, working full-time and managing a business part-time for years, one of them had to give. <laughs> and you probably went with the thing that you felt the most maybe called to do. Absolutely. Purpose. Okay. I went with the purpose. That's awesome. Well, I'd love to know, what do you feel like are the most common misconceptions that people have about being their own boss? Um, you know, we always think it's kind of Pollyannish. We always hear the words of like the, the rich entrepreneur type of thing. But a lot of us also really want to hang on to those stable jobs. It's kind of where my husband and I were kind of going back and forth between the stability. Although, you know, when you're just laid off at a drop of a hat, it yeah. doesn't make it very stable. Tell me, you know, common misconceptions about being your own boss and work flexibility. Wonderful. A common misconception that I hear, at least from my clients in consultation, have been that, you know, they they jumped out there on faith and just expected to immediately replace their income because they opened a business. 
replace the income that they left from their employer, or they thought clients might automatically show up without them having to market their business. So those are two major ones. The work flexibility piece, that's an interesting question because there is some freedom in being an entrepreneur. There is some time freedom. Well, it sounds like that's somewhat why you took it, right? Because of that flexibility. But you know how it is sometimes, you might hear retired people say this, that they work harder than ever uh, in retirement because people think you don't have anything to do because you're not tied to someone else's desk or phone. And that is not the case with entrepreneurship. In fact, you're probably working harder for yourself than you could work for someone else. But people might not see all the background and the private things that go into trying to manage a business, manage time for you and your family. It could even be that you're working from home, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, you're working from home and someone might still expect you to drop in three loads of laundry in a day. (laughs) Well, well, I'm stuck on video all day. I can't get up and do laundry until after the video stop, you know? So in a perfect world, there'd be an excellent system for time management and balance and the money is coming in, you know, unexpectedly and regularly. What perfect world is that? I'd love to meet the person or the people who have mastered that. I I believe that it's okay that I'm not balanced every day between work and life and entrepreneurship. If I feel balanced in a moment and I have all these different balls that I'm juggling well enough, I'm okay with that in that moment. And I'll try something different if it doesn't work. I might try something different in the arrangement with the schedule the next day, but I don't believe that I have to strike a perfect balance. And I I think uh, entrepreneurs sometimes are expecting that, that there's going to be perfection or there has to be perfection. It doesn't. Yeah. And I keep telling my husband uh, that he needs to kind of set a schedule, but even that's really kind of difficult, you know, in that entrepreneur thing because he does a lot more here than he he probably needs to but you know because he's there and interacting with life sometimes that perfect schedule or perfect balance is just hard to come by uh, definitely well and in your bio too we also talked about that your business is kind of a ministry and you kind of talked about that with your civil rights advocacy you know, let's kind of dive into that a little bit more about how that you know being a business cheerleader really helps work into the civil rights advocacy as well as that ministry that you feel called to do. Absolutely. So for the last few years of my federal civil rights career, if you can imagine employees and applicants for federal positions would come to me and grieve, you know, air their workplace concerns, complaints, their grievances of some nature, looking for some resolution from the employer and coming to me as a neutral party who casts no judgment, looks for merit on their claim, is a listening ear, someone who is looking to gather facts and help them understand the process in its entirety. Well, in the last several few years of that, excuse me, of doing that career, I found that I would ask individuals who would say things like, I can't stand coming to work. I have knots in my stomach when I think my supervisor is going to walk past me. Or my supervisor doesn't even acknowledge me when he or she enters a room. You know, things like that. And I would ask once in a while, well, if you weren't here, what would you be doing? And it's no surprise that most of the responses would be, I would be 
running a business, doing something I love. And honestly, after years of hearing that response from people, I, I had to ask myself that question. If I weren't here, what would I be doing? And so Rebecca, I took an online dream job quiz. And that resulted in two answers. And one was, Tisha, you might want to consider going into public relations. The other was, Tisha, you might want to consider becoming a small business promoter. I knew that I didn't want to go into public relations because that's the field that my husband is in. I didn't want to share a spotlight. I didn't want to take any shine away from his spotlight. So I did research as to what a small business promoter was and leaned back on my business minor in college and reflected on that my mom owned businesses while I was younger and just started getting back into study mode and finding out what is it that I'm passionate about and want to want to share a message about. And honestly, it was November 29th, 2014. After a very tragic year, this is going to sound cliche. Literally, I had a dream. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was one of those dreams that I pray I never forget. Um, you know, in a sea of other dreams, I will never remember. This is the dream I didn't have to wake up and write down details about. I can still recall it as vividly as that day, November 29th, 2014. In the dream, I saw the words small business cheerleader. I saw the colors of my business, which are blue and gold. I saw an eagle soaring in the air, which is where I get the word ascent from, that's in my business name. And it just became clear as day that small business promoter must mean that I must promote the message of small business development in communities, specifically communities of color, specifically women. That's awesome. I think it's amazing to receive an, an image like that. That's how I felt when I was, you know, thinking about starting this podcast and I could picture it all in my head. Do you feel like, I kind of love what you were talking about though, that you ask the people, like, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? And they always say, I would be running a business doing something that I love. Do you feel like that people have a hard time trying to figure out what that is that they really love? I mean, we've never really been taught to explore, you know, our own passions. Maybe we're always taught to be more responsible and, you know, and, and take the good job or whatever. But as a small business cheerleader, do you help people try to figure that out as well? Absolutely. And I got to tell you how many times people deny what it is that they love. I don't know if it's embarrassment. I, I agree with you, Rebecca. I think that we have lost the ability oftentimes as we get older to imagine and to yeah. really visualize something for ourselves, particularly if we're women, we're very busy accommodating the people that we care for in life. We're very busy putting, for many people, their faith first and their volunteerism, putting that in front of ourselves. We're not often reminded or applauded for or encouraged to do something for ourselves. So I think a lot of times for women in particular, we kind of just let that recess in the back of our mind and don't pick it up until, until we're compelled to. Yeah. And I think you said it quite well, actually. 
Well, that's awesome too. And I feel like as women too, we feel a little bit slimy. I mean, we're okay helping people, volunteering for things, but we feel kind of slimy actually asking to be paid, you know, to be compensated for our time. But our time is just as important. And in many ways, if you're a woman who is the main breadwinner, you know, that that's like, how do you get women to kind of get over that hump as well? Like to feel okay about charging people. You know, it's constant, you know, you have a tribe or a squad, a board of directors, a personal advisory board, whatever we're going to call it, a sisterhood. I don't know what you want to call it, but you got to have different people in your life and in your circle who are sharing different bits of information with you because you can't receive messages from everybody. It's just like, you know, if you have a child You can tell them something 18 times that makes perfect sense, but let the neighbor tell them something over three seconds. Oh my God, Mrs. So-and-so told me this. Well, good. I'm glad you received that from somebody because you clearly couldn't hear it from me. But when you have that person in your life that is either cheering for you or either giving you raw, candid, honest, just raw information and content and reality checks, whatever it is, I think people need to be reminded, one, you have a light to shine, whatever that is for you. You have a light to shine. Why are you dimming it? Where have we failed you as a society? What makes you think that you can't do something to contribute to your living, to your retirement, just by doing the thing you love to do? But you're right. We have been structured and You know, socially, it's more acceptable to follow a career path and not always to look at entrepreneurship as the career path. Yeah, and it provides so much freedom, too. That's the other thing that I think that we don't understand. Like when we take the entrepreneur path, we gain so much freedom in our life. And, you know, speaking of people of color, it's that liberation that we want to offer. We want to offer women and we want to offer other people that have been oppressed, I feel like, uh, even more so. And Many of us have been somewhat oppressed in the way we've been taught to think about ourselves and what we have to offer the world and how that fits with this bigger mission picture. Um, I think there's so many components to that that we really have to work through. I think it's awesome. I've been throwing these at you. I find it super enlightening of all the things that you're saying that I'm kind of going off topic. But tell me, why did you decide to write your book, Daily Devotional for Entrepreneur, Your Season to Grow? What did you find as you're researching into that book? And how is it different to what you think other people might say? Yeah, so deciding to write the book, again, just one of those times There's so much information to share with people and so much encouragement that people need. I am of the mindset that motivation is temporary. You have to apply it daily, just like you apply deodorant or perfume or (laughs) cologne. And so a daily devotional just for entrepreneurs to teach them to grow in the season that they're in, it just fit with what I was being called to share. It fit with Some people cannot access your services for whatever reason, but they can access the content in a book, in an ebook, in a paperback. And you can share that throughout the world. A book is an easy thing to share with the world and make it accessible to people. I'm a writer. So at any given time, I have four or five books in my back pocket that just need a few pages to be finished up and become a complete manuscript. However, It was important for me to 
put out the first published book to make it clear to people that my business is faith-based profit first. If that makes sense to people, they will understand this book. And I love that the book has gone all around the world numerous times. It's an international bestseller. It's cataloged in the Young Library at the Kentucky Christian University. I expect it to be cataloged in other libraries of schools of business around the world because it's relatable. Uh, so a daily devotional, two to three minutes per day because we're busy people, right? <laughs> but if, if we just get two to three minutes per day in that book is scripture, is prayer, is business consulting. And a tip every single day over the period of 12 weeks, which is a full season, every single day business consulting that helps your business grow that day if you do it. That's awesome. Well, and what do you mean? I mean, I have people, obviously, there are many people on my podcast that are people of faith. But if you're not, like, what does that faith-based profit first? What's the meaning behind yes. that? Yes. And the book has received reviews from people who aren't entrepreneurs, from people who are of a particular denomination at all. It just people like the messaging. People want to hear a positive, encouraging message while they're on their entrepreneurship journey. You ask specifically, what does the faith-based profit first model mean? And what that means oftentimes is that sometimes people of faith find themselves conflicted between starting a business to make a lot of profit or starting a business to be more of a volunteer and a, a servant. And there's a conflict sometimes when people have an opportunity to earn a living and to earn and receive a lot of cash flowing into your business. But there's this theory sometimes that it's money that is the root of all evil, but it's not money. It's the love of money and what you do with it when you get it that creates issues down the road. So this is a mix of, hello, here's a reality check believer who is running a business. It's okay to receive cash flowing in. It's okay. Here's a formula to be generous and give if that's what you want. Here's a formula to, to save some, to pay yourself a salary. Here's a formula to do this, this, and this with the money you're bringing in, but you don't have to limit your cash flow because you have a particular faith or belief that they can go hand in hand quite well. That's where that comes from. That's awesome. Now to take a break. Are you new to homeschooling? Maybe you're a veteran homeschooler and just need some continued encouragement. I'm so happy to announce that the Idaho Freedom Action is sponsoring me in offering a free webinar. For a couple of years, I've been teaching coaching classes for an online school, and this year, in an effort to reach a larger demographic, I'm opening these courses up to everyone. These courses help give us a broader vision and better family relationships as we work through creating self-directed love of learning families. We are holding these classes every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Time through the school year. To find out more about these courses, go to theluminousmind.net and sign up on our email list. You can also join us on Instagram or the Luminous Mind Facebook page to find out more information. Or just simply check out the link in the show notes for this episode. Recordings for these courses will also be available on the Luminous Mind Patreon page. Join us 
podcast for empowered learning for families. Now back to the episode. Well, and I really feel like people of faith, I mean, we also want to help the world be a better place, but to do that also takes money. You know, yes. we, we see the other side that isn't scared to earn money so that they can force, you know, their agendas on us. But we could also, if we have the means to do so, we could make a huge change. I think of, you know, the child sex trafficking issues that so many people are putting money towards. If there wasn't money to help law enforcement find these egregious people, you know, then the world would just... So we got to think about, like, where we want to serve and how we want to help the world and then not be scared, I guess, about being able to put those profits, you know, make that important in our life as well, because we can do a lot of good with money too. So a lot of impact, a lot of impact. Definitely. What do you feel like, what were some challenges that you had with starting your own business or even writing this book? Um, And what do you feel like are common mistakes that people make when they're trying to be their own boss? Okay. So the challenge with starting my business and my company is a sent small business promotion LLC. The, the clear as day challenge was always me. I was always in the way. (laughs) What I mean with by that is that for years, oh my God, too many years, I spent craving and seeking permission and validation from people in my household to do my own business. And one day it just became clear as day that nobody has to love my business idea more than I do. It's my business idea. And so once that was laid on my spirit, my husband and I really started talking to our financial planner years, years and years and years before I knew that I was going to retire young. This was planned for me to retire at the age of 41. It was planned for when I was going to start the business. It took a community of people to help this plan come together that really started when I got out of the way and stopped looking for permission. I don't need permission to start a business. I just need to register it with the state of Michigan. It costs $20. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not a lot of money. Okay, now I have that. It's done. Let's rock and roll in this business. And what I would tell my husband, Ken, and our financial planner, Turner, was that, look, this truck is moving. I can't stop it. Let's get on board. Let's, let's get on board with it. And they did And I wish I didn't make it as complicated as I thought it was going to be, but it was me. It was that inner voice in my head saying, nobody's going to buy into this. You know, nobody wants you to do this. And finally, you kick that voice out or you start charging it rent for the space that is taking (laughs) up there and you just do the daggone thing, right? Yeah, that's what my husband and I were talking about this morning. (laughs) But I like that. I'm going to tell him he needs to charge those doubts (laughs) in his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, they're there way too often. And we have a lot of responsibility to name that nasty little critic that's going on in our head. My friend Kim Boudreaux Smith calls that the hag in the attic. And it's (laughs) it's an ugly hag. And you got to give her a name. (laughs) So you got to hear her story one day. One of the challenges, though, with, with writing the book, and, and I, I hope that other writers can relate to this. My writing mentor is the same person who wrote the foreword to my book. His name is Dennis Kimbrough, and he wrote the international best-selling book, Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice, oh, in collaboration cool. yeah, with the Napoleon Hill Foundation, right? Mm-hmm. And what he pointed out to me 
is that writing means rewriting. When he said that to me, in my head, I had finished the book. And then he said that, and I took that to mean, I must take a, a different look at this book from a different perspective. And he's done what I'm trying to do. Let me just take a deeper dive. And my family went on a vacation to a lake house that year. And while they're out there boating and fishing and having fun, I just, I just sat by the water and sat indoors. It was a, a very nice home. I just sat in in a quiet time, secret place, and rewrote the book. One of the challenges was that I didn't expect to have to rewrite a book completely after I hadn't written it the first time. You know, it doubled the amount of time that <laughs> I was going to finish the book. So I was writing a book for 18 months now. And I didn't foresee that happening. <laughs> I didn't. My son has written books and that's been the biggest problem for him is that he doesn't find those rewrites very, very much fun. You know, he likes the initial writing process, but then the rewrite is not any fun at all. I'd like to kind of go back to this craving, seeking permission, especially mm -hmm. from family members. Uh, that was one thing that I've told him too. You know, he's been kind of frustrated that maybe some of his siblings haven't read his book or, you know, that maybe some of his friends, you know, they're really supportive that he's an author, but they haven't like dove into his same work. And I have had to tell him over and over again, because as a podcaster, I've done what, 200 and a half episodes. And I'm like, I don't know how many of my family members have really ever listened to every single episode and been totally on board. And I think that that's really important. Like if the people around you aren't grabbing your mission like you think that they should, I don't think we should be discouraged by that because it's your mission, not theirs. You know, it's something that you love and you can't expect like if you're not seeing this, all these immediate family members being super uh, supportive of it that, you know, I think of Jesus, <laughs> mm -hmm. his family mm -hmm. members were not very supportive of his mission either. And I think that that's really an important mindset to change. Like, don't get discouraged just because that inner circle of yours isn't as, you know, they may be supportive. Like, it sounds like your husband's very supportive and stuff, but yes you know, he doesn't sit down with you every day and like, oh, I want to know what exactly what you're doing and, you know, reading every little tiny thing that you're doing and stuff like that. I think that's a really important mindset to think about changing, you know, other than thinking that this process was going to be much harder or whatever. Um, what other paradigm do you think changed over time and with experience that you had about entrepreneurship? Definitely become more savvy. Definitely become more savvy. As I have been more open to and, and directly sought out mentors who are doing exactly what I want to do. I've been more open to critique and okay. to just sitting and learning and talking less. You know, as a, as a podcaster also, I enjoy talking. I'm a speaker. I enjoy it. But sometimes that's not what I need. Sometimes I just need to shut up, frankly. And one of the things that I learned as being a speaker or just selling services in general, one of the best pieces of advice that I've learned is it goes back to how do we value our time? And it was from Mimi Brown. She is the president of the National Speakers Association here in the Detroit chapter. And she said, you know, teacher, when, when someone asks you what your price is, say your price and shut up. <laughs> they will tell you the value that they think you are in their response. 
you know what, other people could have told me that, and maybe I didn't hear it from them, but when she said it, I listened. And the very next time, which happened to be the next day that a potential client was asking about my services, I started with the most comprehensive service that I offer for what she was looking for, and I went down the list from there, and then I, I said the price, and I shut up. And in my silence, I could hear her excitement. And she went with the most comprehensive package that was available. And I thought, should I have been doing this five years ago? Why did it take me? Why, is it, why am I just learning to shut up? It just came with time and experience and mentorship. Yeah. Well, and sometimes we feel like we have to justify. Is that what you're meaning? Like before you'd kind of justify the prices and I don't know, kind of talk yes. yourself out of it. And I've even yes. found myself like lowering my prices as I'm talking about it. Well, I can probably, you know, do it for this. And yeah. anyway. That's what I mean. That's awesome. Well, and I love that you need to be open to criticism. That's another thing, too. I think that if we get criticism about how to better, you know, market our message or whatever, we sometimes take that as a personal attack on ourselves because, like you said, many times we feel like this is a mission that, you know, that we have some things, a ministry. I, I love that word that you used as well, but a ministry. And when we get criticized, sometimes we feel like we're being criticized about that mission or that ministry that we hold so dear, but we can learn a lot and we can grow from other people's advice. What do you feel like is some really disruptive things that you're doing in this industry of being like a small business cheerleader? And what are some unique ideas that you've had in this area that maybe you haven't heard other business coaches, you know, say before? Yeah, I, I think one of the disruptive things that I'm doing is I have a totally positive platform. In my platform, which is a YouTube show, it's Pep Talk with Tisha Hammond. That show is sponsored by Dell Technologies and Intel Corporation. And all I do is talk about entrepreneurship. All I do is celebrate entrepreneurs and half the world's workforce who call themselves boss. On that show, we have already lined up guests through 2021. People are waiting six and eight months to be on the show. I don't know what happens behind the scenes of other shows, but the fact that a 100% positive, peppy, you know, upbeat show just dedicated to celebrating entrepreneurs is sponsored by two major corporations. I think that that's pretty disruptive in just the area of small business development. Yeah. And how did you get those two major corporations to be sponsors? Did you pitch that to them or did they come to you? No, no, no. It is, <laughs> it is being present. Oh my goodness. I don't know if you've had the chance to meet Priscilla Archangel here in Metro Detroit, but she, she has a saying that I've heard her say over and over and over again, which is to, you got to be present. You got to be in a room when things happen. And it's honestly one of those situations where serving on boards, being active in the community, loving networking. I love it. Mm -hmm. I drank I drank the networking Kool-Aid, as my friend Maria says. I drank it and I love it. And because I've been blessed to be introduced to people, make connections, people have matched me to others. It simply came out of a conversation one day where I was talking to a good friend at Dell Technologies. Dell Technologies and Intel Corporation are partners themselves. And I mentioned that I was about to start a talk show called Pep Talk with Tisha Hammond. And the response was, 
well, maybe we can sponsor that. And I said, okay. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Just being vocal, activating the voice, just not even always asking for what you want, but just making it known and putting it out there in the atmosphere. When people know what you're looking for, they know to mention your name in rooms full of opportunity. And that's what I believe that my show does. That's awesome. And what are some ways that you would recommend for people to network in that community? Because, I mean, I believe in that a lot. Like, the more I've done this podcast and I've been able to network with so many people, I've met so many amazing people. But are there other ways, like, you know, what would you recommend to people for networking? Well, there's a million and one networking opportunities every, every day. <laughs> well, and we talked about how you use LinkedIn a lot for networking, yes. right? Yes, I do. So having a discerning spirit on LinkedIn, because I am not a LinkedIn lion. I do not accept every connection. I want to know that not only can we have a, a mutually beneficial relationship, will you talk to me after I hit accept? Or do you just want me as a number in your network? Mm -hmm. or do you just want to tag my name? Because you know tagging me will reach thousands and thousands of people outside of your network. So when I feel that a person actually wants to build a relationship, that's important to me. When, when I go to a networking event, whether it's in person, used to be, or now online, I'm not trying to meet everybody in the room. I will walk out of there, though, with three to five people that I haven't met and contact information for how to make a request for a one-on-one. -on -one. Can we have a getting to know you kind of moment, you know, in the next few days and try to make it soon enough if possible, where you don't forget what the momentum was that was carrying your conversation in the first place at the event. Uh, these chat rooms on these virtual video networking things are priceless. Mm -hmm. you, you can save the chat that people are putting in contact information for and then be very responsible and respective, you know, respectful of their contact when you receive it, if it wasn't directly given to you, I would encourage you, one, because the law says so, but two, just as a, a networker myself, if you receive someone email address and they didn't give it to you directly, please don't add them to your email list. It's, it's against the law and it's not cool. But instead, find them on social media, support their posts, engage with them. Build a relationship whatever way you build relationships. And if it's received, they'll reciprocate. And it only takes one relationship. And then ask for connection. So here's what I do. When I'm meeting someone and we've had our getting to know you moment, at the end of that, particularly if we met on LinkedIn, it's important for me to bring LinkedIn to real life. So I like video chatting after we do the whole LinkedIn thing. And then I want to ask somebody, is there anyone that you've noticed in my circle that you would like a direct introduction to? Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it because they've had to have studied you enough <laughs> to know what your circle is, right? Exactly. Read my profile. Have some questions lined up. Please, please, please with the, hey, baby, how you doing? I'm not interested. I want to grow businesses. I want to grow real relationships. I want to meet human beings that love other human beings and are following some purpose or just outstanding people that you want to, you want to know and hang out with, you know? Yeah. yeah, I get really kind of, I know, you know, social media is a huge way for people to market, but I get really tired of accepting a friend request or, you know, whatever you call it 
for whatever platform and then immediately I get hit up for some kind of, you know, to buy some product from them or to do something yeah. for them. <laughs> and it's just like, but there's no like relationship building. And I think that that's very good advice, a very constructive way of helping us be our own boss. Do you think that there are other ways other than networking and building those relationships of, you know, what we can do to start being our own boss? Yeah, I love the word own. One is yours. You have got to take responsibility for what you put out there in the atmosphere. And then I think when I see the word own, O-W-N in print, it kind of means solo, but it really helps to surround yourself with a team, a talented group of people that help you do what you're supposed to do. It, it, mm -hmm. I have a friend who said, you know, if you're wearing every hat in your business, you are not the CEO. The CEO doesn't wear every hat. He or she does this, this, and this, and they hire people to do that. that yeah, exactly. And, that. and it really takes a group of talent. So I would encourage people while you're making the transition from being someone's employee to you yourself going into self-employment or becoming the employer in a small business, I would encourage you to not burn bridges you might need that employer that you have now. In fact, I want to train you how to improve your relationship with the employer so that they become your first customer. I believe that you should look for interns and that you should look to collaborate and contract other independent contractors to help grow your business. Uh, being your own boss does not have to be isolating. Yeah. And I think that team is crucial because it's hard to scale it when you're doing all the different hats. What do you think would be like, you know, I'm a huge Dave Ramsey fan. I love to be able to do things that I don't have to take out a loan to do. What are some things that you could do to start your own business that wouldn't require, you know, everyone says you have to spend money to make money, which is true, but especially in this COVID era, you may not have people that have a lot of money. What are some things that they could do in order to get the ball rolling that would be beneficial to them, but not have to take out like a loan to be able to get this team formed around them? Wonderful. And, and I'm with you. I have not taken out a loan. I've been in business five years. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm impressed about how smart you were to go, I'm going to retire at 41. I mean, that took a lot of foresight. I mean, we never thought that, you know. <laughs> so. it, it took a lot of savings to be able to replace the income that was going to be lost. Exactly. You know, while I'm here building the business. What I think people can do is one, mentoring. You don't have to pay to be mentored. If you go to score.org, S-C-O-R-E.org, it's a service of the Small Business Administration. You can find a mentor in the area of business planning, marketing, financials. You don't have to pay an expert to have this information that you need to build and start your business. Another thing is it's important to protect and ensure your business in various ways. Access to most insurance professionals and financial professionals doesn't cost you a penny. Listen for their advice, see what resources they have. And then in your city, particularly if you're in a, a large urban city, you have an office of economic development and you have a resource in your county specifically for small business development and growth. Take advantage of meeting with those professionals and getting their resources. Uh, for instance, I'm in Oakland County in the great state of Michigan. 
our Oakland County one-stop shop provided printables and decals and resources for COVID-19 so that I can put on my floor and my windows that face masks are required and I can put labeling everywhere and visual management and then they provided access to grants. So Mm. even if you're a for-profit business, you can still access grants to grow your business. I highly encourage people to look at grants.gov or your local resources. Yeah. So we've talked about your YouTube channel. What is it? Pep Pep Talk with with Tisha Hammond. Yeah. Pep Talk with Tisha Hammond. So we've Mm -hmm. talked about that and we've talked about your book, but what do you feel like are some overall key messages that you would get that you're trying to put out there in the world? Oh, wow. In the whole world. Yes. So (laughs) uh, there are plenty. I will try to narrow it down to three. One is that I'm going to do the ATM method here. Okay. Mm -hmm. A being automate. Please avoid burnout by taking advantage of automated technology to help you replicate yourself where possible. Um, Scheduling tools email responders, things of that nature, little tiny things that you don't have to spend 100% of your workday, even if it's in your own business, your workday being attached to a device. Let the device do some messaging for you. So that is one, that's A in the ATM acronym. The T is talent, right? Entrepreneurship can be isolating, but that is by choice. You also have the choice to surround yourself with talented people. I mean, we've all heard the saying that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in trouble. (laughs) Yes. Right. So take advantage of this time where we have four or five different generations in the workplace to draw knowledge from. Okay. Whether that's going to be opening your business to interns or whether it's you volunteering in an assisted living home, right now that might be virtual, but spending time with people who are older and wiser, whatever the case is, there is a lot of knowledge and we're not the only ones that have it. So open yourself up to talent that surrounds you. And then the M in the ATM acronym is monetize. If you are not in business to make a profit, you have a hobby. Yes, (laughs) and an expensive one of that. (laughs) Exactly. So that's exactly. great. And do you have tips to monetize? I mean, I know like when you're YouTube, you have a YouTube channel that there's an, an option there, but do you have any that maybe you feel like people aren't tapping into to monetize? Oh yes. You have a story in you. So content creation, whether you are creating videos to sell as services in a, a virtual library for people to check out, mm-hmm. whether you are creating books or training manuals, for an HR department or for insurance agents, you have some creative content that you can put out into the world and people will buy it. Of course, you know, you have to market those things because sales might not automatically come just because you print a book, right? right? Yeah. Um, but yes, YouTube, you know that if you have a Facebook and Instagram page for business, you can sell products right there. Uh, people can just tap at the, you know, make it as convenient as possible for a customer to have a pleasant experience when they're purchasing your materials online. If you are not doing something by way of email marketing and putting in links 
setting up affiliate relationships and then providing people access to those links, you could be doing yourself a disservice. As an entrepreneur, you are probably looking at numerous streams of income to flow in from different places. Mm -hmm. We don't always get the luxury of one paycheck anymore. It might be coming from seven or eight different places, but that's the life you choose as an entrepreneur. Well, and that's almost essential, I feel like, because if one area, if you only have your business is making money in one area and then that dries up for some unknown reason, that could really hurt you. But if you have many different streams, at least there's still something coming in while you're trying to figure out, you know, what happened with that other stream or even building another stream. So I think that's <laughs> my husband and I are realizing that, that you have to have a lot of different avenues. We will return to our show after a word from our sponsors. For the ultimate in backcountry comfort, check out the high quality gear of Teton Hammock Company. Whether you're going on an overnight trip or a week long adventure, the ultralight outdoor equipment from the Teton Hammock Company will keep you warm, dry, and sleeping like a baby. Their products are made of top quality materials that outperform all others. Check them out at tetonhammocks.com with an S. That is tetonhammocks.com. Hang with the best. Teton Hammock Company. Now back to the episode. How do you feel like this message is helping other people? I noticed on your website, I mean, it's a plethora of collaboration with other people, but you know, tell me about the collaborations that you have and then how that helps other people. Absolutely. So how is it helping other people? One, I hearken to this idea of mentioning people's names in rooms full of opportunity. Essentially, what I am doing is using my influence to market other people. I am sharing their name, making mention of them as often as I can in front of corporations at events or inside conversations in a chat room or connecting people directly to one another, whether I'm doing that within the National Association of Women Business Owners or the Secret Society of Twisted Storytellers, or if I'm doing it, you know, as a board member for the Krogan Board, which is a, a function of the historic Baptist Church of Detroit. The idea is to not keep people a secret. If you know someone has a gift or a talent, to just save it for yourself does a disservice to that individual. And I just want to share a quick story that my hairdresser said one day, you know, Sometimes hairdressers talk a lot in the shop. <laughs> she said, while I was sitting in her chair, she made mention of another client, but not by name. And she said she was a bit discouraged when she asked this particular client, hey, have you told any of your friends about me? And she said the client's response was, why would I tell anybody about you? I don't want them coming here. I, I want you to be you know, open and available to me. Oh, and, and she thought, but don't you love what I do for you? Don't you love how I make your hair feel? Don't you love how you look when you walk out of here? Why would you not share that with somebody? And, and she was just taken aback that someone would not share her information to someone else who needed it. And that's all I can say really for this is be the one that mentioned someone else's name in rooms full of opportunity. Be a blessing to someone that way. Don't keep them a secret. Yeah, I love doing that because it just adds more opportunities and resources for somebody. It's kind of like being that parent, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning that you could tell somebody a thousand times like, oh, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. But if you, if you also have other resources that you can give to them, 
it only makes your voice stronger. Do you know what I mean? Like they might, Absolutely. they might find that message of whatever person you're sharing even more appealing, but then they also remember like where they got that resource from. And I think it's, it's really powerful to kind of strengthen your voice by adding other people's voices to that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So that's great. And what kind of feedback are you receiving about your message? How is it helping other people be more successful? I, I find it so fascinating that you are in the Detroit area because, you know, most of America thinks that Detroit is just kind of reduced to rubble at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to know, like, especially those local businesses, how you feel like that you're helping that area be more successful as well. Oh my gosh. Yes. So some of the feedback that I'm receiving is, girl, I don't know where you've been my whole life. (laughs) It's it's more about the way that I can make someone feel. And honestly, that is relationship building at its finest. When you remind somebody that they have value, that their gift and their message solves a problem that someone is having, that's a boost. You know, so a lot of the feedback that I received is I've been reading your book now for nine weeks. It's a 12 week book, right? I'm on nine week of the book now and I have watched three new clients come in in this last week or I just closed eight deals over the course of the last two days. I wouldn't have known to do that if I didn't see that prompt in your book. A lot of the other feedback is, hey, Tisha, I'm calling you because so-and-so referred me. They liked what you did when you helped them launch their nonprofit organization, or they really appreciated that training you gave about crucial communication. Can we bring you on to do something similar? So word of mouth and treating your customers, particularly your repeat customers well, goes a long way. Yeah, definitely. I love that relationship building. I think if we can remember how to be great communicators and build those relationships in every facet of our life, you know, starting within our own families and then kind of circling out in a broader area, you're going to have more impact than even like the president of the United States. You know what I mean? Like you can have a greater reach or greater influence because of that. And then like, how is that helping? Like you feel like with that local area? So locally I am involved in numerous organizations And let me tell you, the name recognition helps. People feeling that they are aligned to me or vice versa, me feeling that they are aligned to them is pretty important when it comes to politics. Let's be clear, there are politics in business and entrepreneurship, just like there are are in civics. So it helps to, uh, you know, have somebody that you feel has some influence over a situation or could positively influence a decision a lot of people bring me on to their projects because of the influence factor. Mm -hmm. I've seen uh, numerous videos too of amazing things happening in Detroit just by people just stepping up and just going, okay, if the government is no longer going to mow the grass at the parks, you know, I want this park to look good. And so they just go out and do it. And I think uh, there's so many people that are just waiting around for somebody else to do something that's good within the community. I'm glad you said that. Can I I just make a remark on that real quick? Sure. I'd love to hear that. Um, I am a humongous fan of MLK and MLK has passed on to glory now decades and decades and decades ago. And I feel sometimes that 
people are, are waiting for their next MLK. And when I'm having conversations with individuals or, or groups, particularly churched people, then I often find myself reminding them, or at least, you know, trying to get the point across that you're the next MLK. Mm -hmm. You have to open your mouth and say something. You have to get agitated enough to do something about the thing that you are saying is a problem. Why can't it be that you're the solution? How about, just like you said, Rebecca, how about you get out and clean up that street and encourage a street team to come out with you? How about you be the one to call the news station and feel like you're not snitching, but you're trying to spotlight a situation that needs a broad community awareness and help about? I think people are, are very willing for other people to do the thing that they want done, but you have to be, you know, it's this, it's this common saying, you have to be the change you want in this world. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and I find it somewhat hilarious too, and I'm seeing it more in religious groups that we are trying to find a savior other than Jesus Christ. You know, somebody who's, and I feel like we are, we're really missing the mark in that regard. Like, you know, he taught about that personhood and how that individual person is so important but yet we're looking for like this collective king, you know, right. to come to come and right. save us. And it almost saddens me a little bit that we aren't being more proactive about what we can do to be the savior in somebody else's life, just using Christ as an example, you yeah. know. Yeah. That so community, I, that, yeah. that sense of community, that's what he prayed about in the Garden of Gethsemane. One of his last prayers was for unity. When I'm gone, you know, when he's gone, the prayer was, Father, keep them together, give them community. And we still struggle with that. Uh -huh. yeah. And that's, that's unfortunate. But believe me, we can do more to change that if we take collective responsibility. I love the celebration of Kwanzaa because it is entirely about community. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what do you feel like has been really uh, something that you've learned that's caused your life to be a lot more meaningful as you're helping other, you know, leading people to their life's mission? Um, Talking so about I, community, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I spent a little while of my teenage years in New York City. And in New York City, at least when I lived there, it was important to not show kindness because kindness was considered a weakness. Now, the conflict for me was that I found Christ in New York City, and I could not help but be a kind individual when I found Christ. And so the thing that I've learned that has caused my life to feel more meaningful is that genuine kindness is something that a lot of people may not experience from someone else every day. And if you just take the time to smile, and right now while we're wearing our face masks, it's important to smile with your eyes. That might be the only smile that someone gets that day. That gives me meaning. The fact that I can make someone smile, the fact that I can make someone feel like they can earn a living, and then I actually help them by telling them what it takes to create a business in their particular state, what resources they want to surround themselves by so they can improve their situation in their personal economy, starting in their household and then to their broader neighborhood, their broader community, and then go on and 
get that cash flowing in through their financial system that helps them work out whatever their purpose is or whatever they would like to do with how that business is being a financial blessing to them. But it starts with genuine kindness and care for fellow human beings. I love that. Well, and I think too, you always heard the term fake it if you make it. And mm-hmm. so some people would have this kind of pompous attitude of how successful they were and whatever. But I really almost feel like that authentic you know, situation of what's going on in your own life is more impactful, you know, where you're struggling and how, how you've gotten over that struggle and helping other people. And, and I think that maybe that I love the idea of the genuineness of being kind and being that kind of person. Uh, do you feel like there are other habits that you need to implement into your life, you know, for better learning in these areas of entrepreneurship? Oh, yes. I can tell you what my personal habits are <laughs> and start every morning with prayer. And I believe in secret, private prayer, but every morning at 7 a.m., it's a collective prayer circle um, by telephone. My husband is on it, and I cannot imagine going a day, Monday through Friday, without it. I cannot imagine life without prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, So that gives me energy. Something else that is most helpful to better learning that I would suggest and that I personally do is I ask a lot of questions. Now, part of that is because I have a law enforcement background and I'm inquisitive by nature. But that aside, how else will you learn if you don't question what is being told to you? So when someone gives you an opportunity to ask a question, especially if they offer, create a question. I mean, please, <laughs> please don't pass that opportunity. And when we're talking about opportunities, here's an acronym that I like to share with people to avoid a poor mindset. And I don't mean money poor. I mean, mindset mm-hmm. poor. P-O-O-R. Passing over opportunities repeatedly. If you can avoid that, that would be helpful. That means, and that's not an original idea to me. I don't know where I heard that term from first. But what it means to me is that having that discernment to understand that I cannot say yes today to this opportunity, but I'm not going to say no outright unless I know it doesn't totally, you know, if it doesn't align with me, it's a no. But if it's more of, Tisha, can you join our board of directors? Then the honest response is, I sit on three boards currently. Can we have this conversation in two years when I know that I'll be off of two of the boards? That's not a no. That's a yes, but we got to put a pen in it. (laughs) I'm interested, (laughs) but I am not willing to burn myself out. Yeah, and I think that they would appreciate that because they want, you know, they want the best from you as well. Yes. They, they don't want you to say yes and then not be able to give the, what they're hoping you're going to bring to the table. Yeah. So that's great. Absolutely. I love the idea that you call it an opportunity mindset because, you know, it's kind of that growth mindset that we have that ability to always be learning and mm-hmm. that comes through question. I think that's so important. And there is a lot of, you know, in the fixed mindset, there's a lot of scarcity feeling that we have. Mm-hmm. What are some long-term goals that you have that kind of help create more of that growth or that opportunity mindset? And how is that working into like that legacy that you hope to leave? Absolutely. So I have one long-term goal. It's to become an investor in businesses. It's to be a financial resource where people can access capital for their business. In addition to my 
consulting practice and to me spotlighting entrepreneurs around the world through the YouTube show or the book. The book has a ton of entrepreneur quotes in there where I'm trying to highlight as many businesses as possible and their owners. And a long-term goal is that I want to be able to help infuse necessary cash into businesses as well, whether that's through grants, whether it's through loans, other creative partnerships. That is what I'm hoping to do through a sense small business promotion and through the different ventures that I have now. It's, it's really to keep tapping into small businesses. They are the lifeblood of most major communities yeah. and half the world workforce call themselves boss. That means that every other person you talk to can identify themselves as an entrepreneur most times. We have to be able to support the entrepreneur and the small business owner to a greater extent. And I want to be a part of the community that does that. Um, and legacy, if, we, if we're going to talk about legacy, so my husband and I have five children. We have nieces and nephews. We have a growing number of grandchildren. The reason we started talking to a financial planner years and years and years and years and years ago is because we wanted to invest in a future for our grandchildren's grandchildren. The <laughs> children in our family we will never meet need to know that their grandparents, Ken and Tisha Hammond, did something to change their future. And they dare not squander that opportunity away. So we have left instructions and plans and opportunities on the table for that legacy plan. And I encourage other organizations and families to do something of the same so that the succession keeps going so that it doesn't stop with your household. Oh, I love that. I just think of the power of legacy. And that's one reason why I've included that in there because I think when we have that long-term vision, it can help set up, like you said, your community and your family for greater success down the road. And I really want to plug like the entrepreneur side. Um, I didn't realize like how starting my own podcast or trying to start my own business would be so helpful to my own children. You know, throughout all my coaching, I always talk about how mentorship is so important. Like our children pick up so much more from us by watching our actions than they ever do our words. In fact, many times our words can drive them away from us <laughs> in some respect. But as they watch us and they, uh, they, they see us work through struggle and they see us work through a lot of these different things, we're teaching them a lot of character development that we really don't understand it can be a powerful force in their life. And, and the fact that you want to create that legacy for generations to come, and that's a, a sad side, I think, of our current world kind of in the United States is that so many of us are not leaving that legacy. You know, we're burning through everything and then not leaving it's very, I don't know, somewhat selfish mindset in a way too, that we're not leaving the next generation with something more so powerful. What are some parting words that you have for our listeners? And then give us your contact information, how we can find the plethora of uh, resources that you've mentioned. Absolutely. Parting words would be, you know, we've been raised to say and to say proudly that the sky is the limit. I do not believe that today. I believe there is no limit and that oftentimes it's, it's the individual who is creating self-limiting environments around their goals and, and their dreams. And I'm all for dreaming, but I'm more for doing. Be a doer. Be a high achiever. 
and do not be ashamed of the knowledge that you gain, the opportunities that you gain from doing the work. I love that. Be a doer. I'm writing it down. <laughs> writing it down. And I think even if we can be a doer and not be, I think a lot of times we're waiting to be the doer when everything is perfect. You know what I mean? When we have the perfect message or we have the perfect platform. But a lot of times as we're being the doer, it's that experimental learning uh, cycle, you know, where, yeah. where we're learning so much as well. And it helps with our own education in a lot of ways. So absolutely, that's great. And your contact advice? Absolutely. So uh, I can be reached at my website, I believe in owning your own domain. So my website is my name. It's TishaHammond.com, T-I-S-H-A-H-A-M-M-O-N-D. You can find me on Instagram at Tisha Hammond Official. You can find me on Twitter at Tisha Hammond, the number one in the letters S-T. So that's Tisha Hammond first. I am all over your LinkedIn <laughs> channel. So it's Tisha Hammond, the small business cheerleader there. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. Two places, Tisha Hammond and then company page, Ascent Small Business Promotion, or just search for the Small Business Cheerleader on Facebook. YouTube is one of my favorite platforms. And I'm Tisha Hammond, the Small Business Cheerleader pep talk, and happy to connect with people and to build what is going to be a genuine relationship where we actually do, where there's give and take, and no one is taking more than they give. And just trying to get names into rooms full of opportunities. I love that. And I just barely subscribed to your YouTube channels. We were talking because <laughs> I'm like, I appreciate oh. it. <laughs> but I love how you're everywhere. That's great. Again, we've been chatting with Tisha Hammond. Uh, she is the small business cheerleader. I think it has been an extremely hopeful message. I hope everyone in our audience has felt that way too, of how we can take control of our own lives and be our own boss and our own business, uh, you know, create our own income. I think that's been super powerful. Again, you can find her at tishahammond.com. I'm going to be sure to link up. I think she gave us what six different resources of places <laughs> that you could find her on our website as well. But thank you so much, Tisha, for coming on, giving us such a hopeful message about the freedom that we have to become our own business owner. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.